We've been uh, studying justification in the book of Romans. We've been in chapter 4 for at least two or three weeks now, maybe five or six weeks. And um, justification is one of the necessary, I don't know, theological truths you have to do with salvation. When a person is saved, when they put their saving faith in Christ, they have been justified. And we've learned that justification is a its a courtroom word. It means that a person has been rendered innocent by the court. The judge has determined them to uh, actually be credited with the righteousness of Christ and not condemned with their own guilt and with their own sin. So justification is a, is a, is a legal idea that helps to explain how it is that a, a Christian can be forgiven of their sin. And something I wanted to speak about today is more, more in the realm of a topical sermon that has to do with the Christian life. I've wanted to, to talk with you for some time about, about what it means or how, how do you live the Christian life. As I, as I prepare to talk to you about this, there is a handout on the table there that may be helpful to some of you. There's, uh, there's definitely more than six cross-references in the, in the sermon today. There's quite a few references, and I printed them on the handout on the table there if you have a hard time making your way around your Bible. I'm going to uh, pray for just a moment, and then um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about what I want to tell you about living the Christian life. So let's pray for a second. Oh God, these men and women here, most of them come here every week, Lord, and and sometimes our ears are used to hearing, but our hearts are not used to, to taking home the things that we hear, Lord. Oh, how desperately we need to have your word speaking to our hearts, changing our understanding and, and illuminating paths before our feet, Lord, that we might live lives before you that, that are lives of faith, Lord. We, we want to walk by faith before you. We want to accomplish your purposes while we still have life. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would teach our church today. In the name of Christ Jesus, the Savior, we pray. Amen. How does a Christian live the Christian life? And, and does a Christian have to live the Christian life according to a law of some kind? It was kind of an interesting way for me to think about this. Is, is it against the law to not live like a Christian? Do Christians drink and smoke marijuana and swear and cheat and gossip? Do they make wealth and do they live the good life? Is, is there a rule? Is there a law to living a Christian life? Does a Christian keep their faith a secret? What is the law of Christian life? Another way of thinking about it is, is what is the relationship between the, the world of Christian deeds, the things that Christian does and doesn't do. What is the relationship between that and and Christian faith? And sometimes, many times, people put good deeds in place of actual saving faith because in many cases, doing good deeds is the only thing people know how to do. They think if they go to church, they think if they get baptized, they think if they take communion, that these things will result in God's favor for them. So they do these things, hoping that God will have favor for them. 
and in reality, these things that we do, that you and I do, we were baptized, maybe all of you guys have been baptized, at least most of you have, as you made a profession of faith. You go to church, you, you try to restrain your mouth in certain ways or certain things that you will do and you won't do. But there's a relationship between the right things Christians do and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a relationship between these two things. So when when the saving life of Christ is planted in a person and they have been converted and they, they've been born again, when they have a new life, that life produces a fruit of righteous thinking, righteous doing, good things, to put it very, very generally, follow Christian conversion. The, the born-again person has got a, a, a new nature, a new life, and from the new life comes these things that are more godlike than they were before their conversion. So the law of Christian life in a very, very general sense is, is similar to thinking about the water flowing out of a fountain the Lord Jesus spoke about the new birth and new life. And, and he said, when, when you believe in the Lord Jesus, when you have received the spirit of the Lord Jesus, out of that person who is believed will flow a fountain of living waters. And so as the life of Christ is planted in a person, as regeneration has taken place, that's a theological word, new life then the life of the new nature flows out of that person. Works, kindness, love of the truth, faithfulness. That, that, that law that the only water that can come out of a fountain is the water of the fountain is the law I'm talking about. This is the, the water down there in the bottom of the fountain is the water that comes out here on the ground or out into the stream that's coming out of the out of the spring. This is really a law of the Christian life. Justification, which has been the subject in Romans, Romans 3.24, we have read a number of times where it said, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The Lord Jesus has paid a redemption by the shedding of his blood. And Christians have been freely Redeemed, freely justified, free justification. And we've been dwelling on that for weeks. This creates a new life. When God causes a new life, when, when, when he has justified somebody, there is truly a new life. And there is, therefore, it says in... Uh, I think it's at the beginning of Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ because they've been justified. The Lord Jesus has paid the penalty for sinners. And we revel in the fact that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But that portion of the verse is followed by the words it says, who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So there is a life created in salvation that is a life after the Spirit. Or it is a life that has been indwelt by the Spirit of God. It is a life that is now actually characterized by a new nature in the Spirit. The Spirit of God creates a new man at conversion. So justification is part of salvation and sanctification or the life that flows from the life of Christ is another aspect of salvation. So the birth of a man into the Christian faith is the creation of a new creature. Justification has happened to that man. He's justified. His legal standing before God has changed. But he's been made into a new creature. He's been given a new nature, and this is obviously at the spiritual level. After you're saved, you don't have new hair and new eyes and, and new fingernails. But you do have a new nature when you've been born again. The Lord Jesus says in John 3, 5-7, 
like I say, if you want to follow some of these cross-references, you can with that handout. But the Lord Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There is a real thing that is the new birth. And here he refers to it as the birth of the water and the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And so you who were born of a woman are flesh. How many of you qualify there? Okay, 100%. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Can flesh enter into the kingdom of God? They can't. They're the wrong kind of thing. They're, they're a different kind of thing. Flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of of heaven. And so when the new birth happens to a man or a woman or to a boy or a girl, the new birth is a reference. It's it's an indication that there is a spiritual life birthed by God. It is a new creation. The Lord Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. You remember what Nicodemus said to this idea of being born again? He was so flummoxed. He had no idea what it means to be born again. His answer to that was just so silly, wasn't it? He says, is a man to get back into his mother's womb and be born again. And I love it when the Lord Jesus speaks in these terms over and over again and leaves men and women mystified. You know why he speaks like that? He wants you to go home and think about it. He wants you to have questions when he's done speaking. He wants you to know you don't know what you're talking about when we're talking about spiritual life and about eternal things. And about what is required for you to enter a new eternal life. You don't know what you're talking about. When he's done talking, you are wondering, I don't have the slightest idea what he means about eternal life. And about where heaven is. I don't know what he meant. You don't know how dumb you are. You don't know how ignorant you are. The man from heaven reveals the way to heaven. And if you're making it up, if you're making your way to heaven, you're not going there. You understand that? Nobody knows where it is. And unless you are born again, unless you are given spiritual life, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23, Peter also speaks about the new life. It comes about at conversion. Conversion is a real thing. The new creation that comes when God's Spirit gives a person new life is a real thing. 1 Peter 1, 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. The Spirit is convicting and the Spirit is leading and the Spirit is driving a person to forgiveness in Christ. To hope of eternal life. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again. Not of corruptible seed but incorruptible. What does the new life come from? What does it mean to be born again? It means you have been given a life through an incorruptible seed. Which is the word of God. Incorruptible means it cannot wear out. Incorruptible means it has now begun to possess eternal life. The life of heaven's kingdom. Peter says it is through the incorruptible word of God. Having been born again, not of corruptible, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides Forever, do you realize when you open up your Bible, when you read this word, it's not a book. It, this, this is a written record of the eternal word of God. That God has entrusted to his people. 
on earth. This is the only way men can know eternal life. You turn your back on the book of God's eternal word and you turn your back on the hope of eternal life. You walk away from any hope of eternal life and you ignore the word of God in this book. 2 Corinthians 5.17 2 Corinthians 5.17 It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Why? Because the person who has been born again, the Christian, is not only justified, he has become a new creature. He is a new creature. He's a new thing. He's been born again. The incorruptible word of God has been planted in his soul. God has literally birthed or created a new life in a Christian. What is new? What is new? Is the Christian life by its nature a life different from the life of a non-Christian? It's an important question. Is the born-again person different from a person who is not born again? They must be. They are. By nature of what the new birth means, they are a new thing. They are a different thing. They are not like someone who is not a Christian. It has received its life from above. When, when the Lord Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus and the Lord Jesus is teaching Nicodemus about the necessity to be born again, that phrase can also be interpreted born from above. Unless you are born from above, you will not see the kingdom of heaven, yet alone enter it. Being born from above is a life born of the incorruptible seed that Peter referred to. It is a life from above. As your DNA has come from your mother and father, so too the life of the born again has been been given the DNA, if you will, of the very Spirit of God. They are a new creature. They are a new creature. Given a, a new nature, a new heart. And of course, this is not the same thing as the old man you were before you were born again. Or it is not like what you are now if you are not born again. It's a new heart, a new desire, a new ambition, a new hope, new power, new God. All things are passed away. All things are new. Justification is the legal standing of the one who has been born again. Justification is a, a positional standing. You're still a guilty sinner whose position in the courtroom will be rendered just before the judge because the Christ has paid the penalty of your sin. But the guilt of your sin can no longer take you to the grave if you are in Christ. Those who are justified are free of sin's debt. They've been moved from the realm of sin and placed in the realm of grace. And there's a wonderful verse, Romans 5, 1 and 2, Therefore, having been justified by faith, when, when you believe, when you truly put your trust in Christ, when you are born again, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are no longer at enmity with God. You are now at peace because the Lord Jesus has paid the price for sinners. Christ, through whom also we have access, and if you're looking at the verse here, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. The Christian is standing in this place called grace. Where were they standing before? Enmity. Judgment. Standing under the realm of the law where you must be condemned for all of your sinfulness. We've been moved. When you are justified, when you are forgiven, you're moved into this place called grace in which we stand in Christ and we rejoice in hope and the glory of God faith 
in the person of Jesus Christ, hope in the person of Jesus Christ, of eternal life, of forgiveness. This is what faith is. It's in the person of Christ. It's in the work of Christ. It's in the sufficiency of Christ. Faith is is in your union with Christ who has taken the, the sinner's penalty. Faith has tied the believer, made them sons and daughters of the King out of the realm of law, into the realm of grace. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven. What for? Why? Why has God moved the sinner from A to B? Why has he justified them? Why has he given them new life? Why has he given the Christian unsurpassed privilege as heirs? of the Son of God. Why has He done this? Ephesians 1, 3, and 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In Christ. As as a hand fits in a glove, the believer now stands in Christ and he owns all of the privileges and rights of the Son of God in Christ. just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Here's part of the why. Why has He done all this? He's he's moving us. The, The Christian is now in this realm of the holy and the blameless. That is what He has chosen them for, to be holy and blameless in His sight, in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. He's moved them from people at animosity with God, enemies with God, to sons, inheritors, favored, according to the good pleasure of his will. It pleased God. It made God happy to do this. It was his pleasure to do this. To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Why is God moving some men from A to B to the praise of the glory of His grace? It's to lift up His glory. It's to praise Him. Ephesians 2.10 Why has He done this? We are His workmanship You're like a cabinet. You're like a table. Workmanship. Something crafted. Something assembled and built. We are His workmanship, it says in Ephesians 2.10. Created in Christ Jesus for good. What does it mean to have been created in Christ Jesus? New birth. New life. Enemies made into sons. Condemned, made into inheritors, created in Christ for good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you see that? Why has this transfer of your location taken place? He has moved you from A to B. You have been created for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. His power at work in you as a Christian. New life in the Christian. To His glory. For His glory. This is what the Christian life is. And that's why if you read Ephesians 4.1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. Why does Paul ask someone to walk worthy of the calling? Because they've been created with a, as a new creation for this purpose of glorifying God Himself. The condemned becoming forgiven. The condemned being given new life. The condemned walking and living the Christian life are to the praise 
of His glory. Walk worthy of the calling, He said, with which you were called. Does the new birth and justification have a calling? Does the new birth and justification have a calling? What have you been called to? If you have been justified, what is it you've been called to? Good works as his workmanship for his glory. You know, Christians are a public demonstration. Christians sitting in this room and where you go this afternoon, you are on display on planet Earth. We're going to look at a reference here in Ephesians 3. Look at this reference in Ephesians 3.10. What is this thing on earth God is doing through the redeemed, through those who have been indwelt by the Spirit, through those who are sons? What is the Christian life accomplishing? Look at Ephesians 3.10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Now that's, don't think church building. Don't think bishops and elders and church offices per se. When, when he's speaking about something being made manifest by the church, the word means congregation. There is a collection of people on planet Earth who have been this group of believers. English word church, ecclesia in the Greek. But the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why is it that he has redeemed the people? Why is it that he has given new birth? Why is it that there is such a thing as a Christian life bringing glory to God and what we see here in Ephesians 3.10? There is something called principalities. Something called principalities. Powers. They're not even on earth. They're in heavenly places and, and they see what the congregation does. They see what the congregation says. They see how the congregation worships. They see how the congregation serves. How do they walk in the Spirit? How do they self-sacrifice? How do they love? God is in the process of demonstrating his own wisdom to these principalities and to the powers in heavenly places by the congregation, which is the Christian living as Christian life. The Christian living as Christian life is to be seen by these beings and by these powers in this other world. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 18. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. What is the calling? What is the calling of the justified? Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Now, Paul's emphasis here is kind of focusing on an issue that was going on among Corinthian Christians, not very far away from Greece. These, these people in Corinth were doing something with little conviction that was inappropriate. It was wrong. Why was it wrong? If, if they're living the quote-unquote Christian life in this manner... Why, why is that wrong? Why is that bad? This is what we're looking at here. He says, flee it. Every sin that a man does outside, that is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body, or do not know that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Who is in you? Whom you have from God. And you are not your own. What is the calling of the redeemed? What is the calling of the justified? Why have they been justified? Why are they still on planet earth and not already taken away to glory? 
Because the Spirit of God indwells them. They, in, in their individuality, and then as part of the corporate body, they are a dwelling place of the Spirit of God. He says, Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Did you know that? Did you know you're not your own? If you're a Christian, you're not your own. Did you know your calling is not to be your own? Do you know that? Verse 20. How come you're not your own? You were bought with a price. What did you cost? If you're a Christian, what did you cost? What did it cost to purchase you from sin's condemnation? If you have actually put your trust in Christ and you are anticipating the righteousness of Christ measured in your behalf, if you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus and walking with the Lord Jesus, what did it cost? It cost the life of the Son of God. Verse 20, I was starting to read, You were bought at a price. Therefore, what does it say? Glorify God. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Glorify God in your spirit. How do you glorify God in your spirit? What do you do with your heart's affections? What do you do with your spirit? Where is your spirit throughout the day? Where is your where is your soul wandering to in its affections and in its desires? What are you glorifying in your inner man? Are you training your heart and your mind to love the things of God and to turn away from the things of the world? You see, the Christian life, the life that is in Christ is as his property. You are his possession because you have been bought. And it is intended by God himself to give God glory in your body and in your spirit. The new of the new birth, the new of the new birth, is at the very, very beginning of such a thing as your faith in Christ. And it is why you will live forever. Your faith in Christ is is new. It is the reason why you will live forever. It is the reason you will spend the rest of your life living, I made up a word, a life that is peculiarized. Your, Your life is made peculiar by your faith in Christ. Your life is not like the world's life when you have been born again. The Christian life isn't like your unsaved neighbors. The Christian life is a peculiar life. It is a life that has been purchased and made the possession of God. It is a life that is indeed the craftsmanship and the workmanship of God Himself for God's purposes. Second Corinthians 5.15 And he died for all that those who should live should live no longer for themselves. What is the calling of the Christian life? The purchased ones, the ones who have been given a new life, those who have been indwelt by the Spirit of God, those who are his workmanship, should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. We don't know Christ like that anymore in the flesh. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. The Christian life is a new thing. It's not like the old thing you were. It's not like the thing of the world. It would be incompatible 
for you to have faith in Christ and live like the world. Those things don't go together. The Christian life is a new life. It's life in Christ. Faith in Christ is new. Some people think they were born a Christian or some people think they were always a Christian. I've always known Jesus. But actually coming to Christ is new. Even if you got saved when you were two or three years old, it came with new affections. It came with new desires, new shame for sin. It would be incompatible for someone to have faith and to live like the rest of the world. God has called a Christian out of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son as a reference in the book of Colossians. New belief and new life and new king. Christian life is new. James speaks about the reality of the the new life. When James speaks about a Christian's new life, He talks about what faith really means. James 2.17. You'll see that on your hand out there. He said, Was not Abraham our father... I'm sorry, we're looking first at at, uh, James 2.21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son? Is he saying something opposite of Paul in Romans? Paul in Romans says you're justified by faith. But here he says Abraham was justified by works. Is that opposite? It's an important question. Verse 22. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. What this means is, is when a man walks or does the, the, the implications of what believing means, when a man does what he believes, this justifies his faith. Or another way to think about it might be it completes his faith. It's the natural overflow from his faith. It's not something other than his faith. It means if he believes, this is the natural product of it. So in that sense is what is being referred to as Abraham being justified by his works. It perfected his works. It showed that he he actually believed what he said he believed. The justified, those who have been justified, are vindicated by their deeds. The things they do prove what they believe. The things you do are, are proof, they're evidence of what you believe. Those who have been born from above, they do the things that are compatible with the new birth. Those who have been born from above do what their Father does. They do what their Lord and Savior does. And they are peculiar by this life. Faith in Christ, when you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, your faith in Christ is animated by the person of Christ. The way you think about your trials and the way you think about your boss that you don't like at work or the way you talk with your spouse when you're unhappy or disappointed. All of these things are impacted by the Spirit of Christ who has indwelt you and by the Word of God that gives specific meaning to your emotions that, that, that sometimes are running counter to the Spirit of God. The Word of God will confront your wrong emotions, your wrong reactions, your anger, your fear, your short temper. The Spirit of God teaches you to be patient. 
The Spirit of God teaches you to be kind. The one who is born again learns from the Spirit and he walks in and with the Spirit. Faith in Christ results in affirming what the Spirit affirms and and denying what the Spirit denies. Faith in Christ puts you in union with Christ. It puts you in harmony with Christ. You love the things of God and you hate the things that are opposed to God. If what you have believed to be Christian is not the Spirit of God that is convicting you and directing you and animating you, if if your belief has never resulted in your union with Christ and the Spirit of God, if what Christianity means to you does not involve you owning the convictions of the Spirit, feeling the convictions of God's Word, and I don't think you've ever been converted. When you come to a saving belief in Christ, you love the things that Christ loves and you hate the things that God hates. And if you've never come to feel that kind of conviction from the Spirit, then you might just be playing Christianity. You might just be doing Christianity as opposed to responding to the conviction of the Spirit. The Spirit convicted you the very first time of your sin. Did you come to God and ask God for forgiveness of your sin? And give your life to walking with Him because He was a Savior? Is this the nature of your conversion? Or do you do Christianity? You go to church some Sundays. You take communion sometimes. Those are outside things. The inner things are what I'm talking about. Did you meet the Spirit of God convicting you of your sin? Convicting you of the certainty of your condemnation? That made you fear condemnation and bring you to Christ? Seeking God for forgiveness? Thrilled that the Lord Jesus took the penalty of sin in your behalf? Is this the nature of your conversion? If it's not, now is the time to be born again. The Spirit of God convicts men of sin. The Spirit of God offers men forgiveness of sin in the Lord Jesus. The Spirit of God offers you assurance of God's satisfaction in the death of Christ. Oh, how I, how I hope every single one of you has repented of your sin and turned to God and Christ. The Christian life has its own life source. Do you realize this? The Christian life has its own life source, and it's not the world's life source. It is the Word and the Spirit. The Christian life has its mind and its understanding and its conviction and its ambition by the Word and the Spirit. The Spirit of God brings His Word to you and your heart like a sword. And God teaches us to know Him and to walk with Him by His Word. You know a dog by its dog-likeness. You can spot them anywhere. You know what dogs look like. You know what they act like. You know what they do. You should know a Christian the same way. Christians do certain things and they don't do certain things. They speak in a certain manner and they don't speak in a certain manner. And it's because the Spirit of God has put the life of God in them. And if you find that your mind and your mouth and your life is not godlike, and you think you're a Christian, you're wrong. And you should feel the pressure of that conflict. And you should repent of your sin. And turn to God by the forgiveness of the shed blood of Christ. 
and put your hope in Christ and walk with Him. Walk with God the Savior. If you become friendly with the world, and if you've taken comfort in the world's promises, and you do already know these things I've been telling you about, then you should repent of your worldliness. You should ask God for forgiveness of your comfort and your friendship with the world. Say, Lord, I don't want to accomplish the world's purposes. I want to accomplish your glory. I want to accomplish the the purposes of your workmanship in the new creation. I, I want to be used for your purposes, Lord. Repent and seek the Lord for forgiveness and, and walk with Him. A couple of years ago, we memorized Galatians 2, in verse 20. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. The Christian says, I've been crucified with Christ. Who lives if you've been crucified with Christ? The verse says, it is no longer I who live. There's a conflict between I and Christ in this verse, isn't there? It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ in me who lives. You guys looking at the verse? You should look at it. Whose life do you live when you're in Christ? Whose life do you live when you're in Christ? What is the Christian life? It's no longer I who lives. It is Christ in me who lives and the life that I now live. Look at what he says. I have been crucified with Christ. You know what crucifixion is? Death. I died. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. So there's still some life in the flesh, isn't there? The life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life of A disciple, the life of a Christian is somebody who has died and yet they live. They live by Christ. 2 Peter 1, 2-4. 2 Peter 1, 2-4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. Call us. A Christian who doesn't have a robust knowledge of Christ And God, by the word of God, is making all that stuff up. You cannot live the Christian life without a knowledge of God. His divine power has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him. If if you're just spiritual, if you're a spiritual person without true knowledge of God and Christ, then you're making it up. You're not living a Christian life. You're living some empty spiritual life. Ephesians 1, note 4, 17. This I say, therefore, testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened. A Christian shouldn't walk and live like that. They shouldn't be alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. What's the opposite of ignorance? Knowledge. Wisdom. You should be filled with the knowledge of God. You should be no longer living as the Gentiles live. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Put off. Concerning your former conduct. Put off the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 give us a couple of closing words. The Christian life is is God's life. The Christian life is, is a life in the spirit. The Christian life is a life of the new birth. 
Christian life has repented of the non-Christian life and has turned to God, has been born again. Listen to these words that Paul says. The Spirit speaks to us in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. He says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. The Christian life is its own thing. It is not the world's life. It is a life lived for the glory of God. It is a life lived filled with the Spirit of God. It is a life filled with constantly learning, being reminded the knowledge of God. It is a workmanship that by its working, according to the purpose for which it was created, glorifies the God who has created you, a new creature, a new creature in Christ, a new creature on your way to glory. Be imitators of God as dear children. You and I have to learn how to do that. We're we're increasingly learning. We're increasingly being better and better at this. It is something we learn by the Word of God and by the Spirit. Walk in love, he says, as Christ has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. I hope you'll take some of these things to thought today, what it means to know God and to walk with God, to be his Air. If you've never given your life to the Lord, this is a perfect time to repent of your sin and put your trust in the Savior. Let's take a minute and pray. Oh Lord God, how we praise you for the Holy Spirit who convicts the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. And we thank you, dear God, for your holy word. And we thank you for the offer of eternal life in Christ. Oh, Lord, keep us and and may we be ready for the works that are asked of us today and this week, Lord. We're, We're grateful for your love and your care for us and we pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. We're going to have lunch together again this afternoon, so you're you're welcome to join us. Um, and if not, we may see you on Wednesday for the women's Bible study or Wednesday evening for the, the men's Bible study. I hope you guys have a great week.